Hello everyone and welcome to From the Heart, a podcast brought to you by Catholic Education Diocese of Wollongong. My name's Josie Cooks and as we adjust to social distancing and working and learning remotely due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're going to be sharing stories with you about our experiences as a way of staying connected and being in community with each other. Our guest today is Peter Hill, Director of Schools Catholic Education Diocese of Wollongong. Welcome back, Peter. You were our first guest on From the Heart, so we thought it would be nice to end season one by touching base and finding out how things have been for you. Can you believe that was nine weeks ago? And ironically, our first interview was on April Fool's Day. That should have been a warning sign for you to say no and not get dragged into this project. (laughs) But I'm glad that you did. Before we dive too deeply into the interview, tell us what the last nine weeks have been like for you. What's the um, old adage, Josie? Um, Great minds think alike, but fools seldom differ. I can't believe we did the last interview on April Fool's Day. Um, And I thought I must have made a mistake on the first one because we've got the repeat episode (laughs) now. Um, But as I look back at the last nine weeks, it's been a very intense time. uh, And everyone's been working very hard, uh, long days and weeks. Uh, lots of meetings, and at one stage I said to the team uh, in the CEO that the CEO was getting a two-for-one deal. Um, the team was squeezing two weeks' work into one, constantly trying to stay ahead of the, the next wave of, of the COVID-19 information. And I've been worried. I, I've worried and I've been deeply concerned about our vulnerable staff and students, especially our Year 12 students and kinders, Um, parents who have become unemployed and responsible for the monitoring of learning at home. I've been worried about the safety of our students and the well-being of our staff. And my grandmother had some wonderful old expressions. Um, One of my favourites was, there but for the grace of God walk I. And I've just wondered during this time how I would have responded to this time if I was in the shoes of these people. It's also been really confronting for me because... In, for the first time in my life, I've literally not been able to return to my state of origin. And so as an Australian citizen living in New South Wales, a thousand kilometres down the road, so to speak, I've not been able to return to my home state and cross that border. And having that border closed, I found quite confronting. Um, but it's also been a very rewarding time. Uh, I've just been overwhelmed um, and absolutely impressed by the patience and generosity of spirit of our staff, the adaptability and the creativity of the talented people that I work with here at the Catholic Education Office and also in schools. I've found it to be truly inspirational. That's good to hear. Okay, so let's talk about this. During the initial COVID-19 restrictions, we were all living in a state of uncertainty and in a way we still are. And there was a lot of information from both state and federal government regarding whether schools should remain open or not, or how they should operate once students returned. With all this in mind, how did you go about making decisions in the best interest of students and staff? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the key word um, in your question is how. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there's a lesson for us all in this because just because there's information on the internet uh, or it's popular or it's trending on social media doesn't make it true. And so 
I have a personal mantra, which is structure and discipline. And it was the foundation to how we went about the work and how we went about making decisions that did impact on students and staff. And so first and foremost, there was a foundation of any decision needed to be evidence-based and it needed to be based on expert advice from the right agency combined with my personal practical knowledge of schools and an absolute expectation that I would not ask any parent or any teacher to do something that I wouldn't willingly do myself in the same circumstances. At the end of the day, it had to make sense to me as an informed Australian citizen, as a taxpayer, as a teacher, as a principal, as a parent and as a father. And so there was um, significant consultation and collaboration and rarely at any time do you make decisions alone. And so we established good structures and maintained the discipline to collaborate and communicate. So some of the things that we did to help the how was that we stood up a, a particular role of response coordinator, which was the first time we've done that in, in this diocese, to my knowledge. We stood up an incident management committee and a critical incident communications team and those two teams literally met daily. Um, our leadership team here at the Catholic Education Office had oversight of the process in terms of governance of what occurred. We set up um, task forces in areas that were critical to the functioning of schools and the Catholic Education Office, and in areas of workforce planning, finance, the assurance of data, and that was actually critical that we knew what was going on in our schools uh, and our workforce. Um, there was a, a task force established for the continuity of faith and learning. We uh, created student, staff and um, principal wellbeing task forces. And we had a task force for the community impact if and when there were any adverse events associated with COVID-19. Um, we ran virtual meetings involving principals and deputy principals. And we had um, virtual meetings involving CEO staff. So all of that formed the how and then from those, um, from the structure and discipline of, of, of those things, I think it enabled us to make the best decisions that we had available to us at the time. And I remember saying to principals during one particular meeting that we were never going to be perfect, but because the perfect is the enemy of the good. And there was a lot of good going on at the time. Have you had an opportunity to speak with any teachers to find out what the experience has been like for them and their students? and to find out how they're all coping? I have, um, Josie. I kept visiting schools both during the, the, the nine weeks that you've just talked about during the COVID-19 um, pandemic and has visited schools as recently as yesterday. And I've got to say that um, our teachers are rock stars. Um, they really are. And uh, I think one of the things that will be good that's come out of the, the COVID-19 pandemic is that we now have a group of parents right across this country who I think will appreciate um, the enormity of the task that is being a, a, a teacher in a, in a school in this country and we can reclaim um, the nobility of that work. Um, I've watched our teachers adapt. They've learnt new skills. Um, we have hosted online professional learning uh, that our teachers took up during the school holidays and they embraced this because it was, it was good professional development and there was a need. And like always, I've watched our teachers uh, put their students first. Um, and I saw them at, in, in different ways um, check in with the students, both you know, the beginning and the end of yeah. the day, 
um, through the various platforms, whether that be Zoom or Seesaw uh, or Google Classroom. Um, and I watched them generally uh, being very concerned about those students who had no other options but to actually attend our schools during the pandemic. Um, and so uh, I think the other critical thing is that during all of that, they kept their sense of humour and professionalism. And as I said, I'm going to end where I began. I think our teachers are rock stars and they really have done very well during this time. Peter, I know we're only into the second day of students being back at school, but what has the attendance rate been like? Um, literally, as you walked in, I was looking at those numbers. And so I can say with great confidence that across the diocese, the average is about 90% over the last two days, uh, which is a terrific result. In some schools, it's higher. It's at, at about 96, 97%. And that's um, really good information to have because at the moment, there's about 9% of our students who, um, who aren't at school and they're probably not at school for all the right reasons. They might have a bit of a cough or cold or a bit of a sniffly, mm. uh, a bit of a sniffle, and they need to be at home, which is where they should be at the moment if they're not well. So that's really clear uh, and accurate information to say that um, our community was ready to, to, to come back to school. And have you received any feedback from parents at all during this time? Yeah, um, the parents have been really grateful for the very clear communication that they've received. Uh, and they've also been um, appreciative of the fact that we've gone to great efforts um, to make sure that our schools look safe and feel safe. Just completely anecdotally and opportunistically, I um, uh, connected with a school um, yesterday and um, that principal told me of um, a family whose um, child has a significant medical presentation uh, and that's respiratory related. And they were very concerned about uh, sending their child back to school as you are as a parent. And they sat down with the principal and the principal went to great lengths to explain all the measures that were in place in the school. And just the trust and confidence that those parents place in us because um, their child arrived at the first day of school to participate in learning. And um, I think that's a great compliment to us. Yeah, it is. At a recent CEO staff meeting, you said that the COVID-19 pandemic has forced us into a liminal space, that we must leave business as usual and voluntarily enter a world where the rules and expectations are quite different. You were listening. I was, I always listen. <laughs> As we readjust and return to some form of normality, what will school life look like for students and staff over the coming weeks? Oh, the, the first thing is, uh, it's just terrific to see students and teachers back in schools. Um, I relish the, the energy and, and the noise, and there's vibration you know, when you enter a school. And there was great delight in seeing that over the last couple of days. But the thing that we must remember is it's not back to normal, far mm. from it. And it's, it's not business as usual. Um, we need to make sure that we are just aware that we are in another phase of, of the management of COVID-19 as, as um, a community of schools and as a society. And so all of those things that we've come used to will still be part of everyday life in schools, I think. So things like good hygiene remains in place. We've got to continue washing our hands um, our cough and sneeze protocol and all those etiquettes need to remain. Social distancing needs to occur for our adults and that's really important. Obviously in school for a little while there's no contact sports, there's no assemblies, 
Um, and we literally need to be prepared if the school might have to close for some reason because of, the, of a case of COVID-19, um, we may need to close the school for deep clean. So far from it is we're just going back to business as usual. So I think schools can expect to just be in a different phase of managing this, 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 this pandemic that we've got. You're still relatively new to the role of director of schools. You've moved to a new city, a new state, locked out of your own state of origin, as you just said, mm -hmm. surrounded by lots of new faces and names. That's a lot. <laughs> so what's been the biggest challenge for you, both personally and professionally during this time? Uh, the double bunger, Josie. Um, so personally and professionally. So personally, I think that's an easy one to answer. It's been the long separation from my family uh, in Queensland. And the other personal aspect would be just getting lost, um, especially in Sydney. I need to disclose that I am absolutely directionally challenged. Uh, and for a while there, I was handicapped by the worst GPS known to man. And it took me uphill and down dale. And I would be speaking to people going to various places and they'd say, where have you been? And I'd explain that I've been along this road and down that and I said, why did you go that way? And I said, because that's the way the GPS took me. So um, yeah, again, in visiting schools and places around the diocese, often it's the very first time I've been there. So there are some places that like to set the new boy up for a bit of failure as well. <laughs> um, professionally, it's been about learning everything and learning everything for the first time. Um, new enterprise systems, um, new legislation that's actually specific to New South Wales. Um, I said it before, I... I've literally come down the road a, a thousand kilometres, but in many ways I could be living in a different country. A, a, a new curriculum, new, new governance associated with Catholic education in New South Wales. And there's nothing uh, more de-skilling than starting a, a new job. It's actually quite confronting in and of itself. And within that, the other then next, I think, biggest professional challenge uh, is to build relationships with people who don't know you and mm. to develop a deep uh, contextual literacy about their place. And so the Diocese of Wollongong is extremely diverse and it's been really important for me to, uh, in the early weeks and months, to visit schools and to try and develop that deep contextual literacy of a school in its place in the community. Um, and in some ways, um, this is where COVID-19 has been a bit of a mixed blessing because I've had to roll up my sleeves and, and learn the place by doing the work and nothing helps people to get to know you quickly than dealing with a pandemic. Mm. How are your family been coping without you? Yeah, um, it's, it's been a challenge. I took a, a leaf out of um, you know, John Howard's instructions to his, to his cabinet. Uh, he said, you need to um, phone your wife and family twice a day. And so we've been doing that either by the various, you know, uh, video conferencing options that are available or by phone. Um, but it's been a bit of a struggle. You know, it, yeah. it's sort of not what we expected. And I think, as I said last time, we may have met, um, although it's been difficult and it's had its own set, set of challenges. Um, you know, one of my friends recently said, you're not talking to the walls. And I said, Wilson and I are fine. And they got the castaway reference. <laughs> and so I, uh, I had a, a volleyball ready for our, our next Zoom meeting. Um, you know, but um, 
in saying all of that, the reality check is we have our health and we, we have our jobs and we have our family and um, that's pretty important and we'll get to see each other soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I bet you're looking forward to that. Mm. What surprised you most during this period? That's a tricky question. What surprised me most um, during this question? The, the first thing is probably um, almost as obvious as the nose on your face, but it's taken a pandemic for our Australian society to recognise the, the importance of education and the role of teachers in this country and the contribution they make. And I just, in some ways, I say, well, thank God for that. Um, our national cabinet agreed to set um, seven principles for school education out of COVID-19. And, and the first is, again, almost the vagabond of the obvious. Our schools are, are critical in the delivery of high-quality education, and, and our schools give our kids the best possible start in life. Well, terrific that we got that right. Education is best delivered by professional teachers to students in a classroom, in a school. Outstanding. Like it, it's taken a pandemic for us to realise that. Um, and so I, I'm serious about this. I, I think it's time that, um, as a country, we start taking education seriously. And that I'd be delighted um, if we could set an agenda that is bipartisan for the future of um, education in this country where the politics of education got out of the way and we focused on um, what good teaching and learning and what good schools and education looks like as a, uh, as a country. That would be a terrific thing that, to come out of this. The second thing that's really um, surprised me and um, sparked my imagination is that in speaking to people both in the office and in schools, people said to me things like, dealing with COVID-19 meant that I was allowed to be creative and innovative in my work. And again, I, I sat back and I, I think, and they may not have said it exactly that way. That's the way I've received it. And I, again, I thought, why has it taken a pandemic to make people feel that they can be creative and innovative in their work? And on reflection, it, again, it worries me deeply that maybe we've just made education and the teaching and learning process just so compliance laden that we've lost something out of the art and craft of teaching that we need to reclaim and reclaim that creativity and innovation and the joy of teaching and learning in our schools and our classroom and the work we do. And again, if that's something that comes out of um, the COVID-19 pandemic, that's also a good thing. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of things that have surprised me and you never know, some good may come out of those things. What have you learned about yourself through this period? These are some fairly tough questions today, <laughs> Josh. You could have cut me some slack. It was supposed to be easy on you last time. It was supposed to be the, the, the repeat performance, you know, where we just you know do it again. Um, uh, if I am to answer that question with brutal honesty, yes, please. Um, it's an appreciation of um, just how much I am loved uh, and an appreciation of just how much I am loved by my wife, my children and my family and friends. A friend of mine said to me recently that I've broken with tradition and that normally it's the kids who leave home and not the parent. 
And so I've broken that mould. Um, but I've learned very powerfully um, and, and with great humility um, just how much I'm loved um, as a husband, um, as a dad and as a son. And it's important, I think, for us blokes, and I say blokes because us Australian blokes do need to talk about love. Uh, and for us Catholic blokes who are believers, we need to know that we're loved by God and our mates and our family. And um, you'd be no surprise that this is also backed up by a nice piece of nerdy research um, <laughs> that happened at the end of the Second World War, World War. It was called the Harvard Grant Study, and it tracked about 300 male university undergraduates for 75 years. So a really longitudinal piece of research. And the question was, what makes a happy and purposeful life for men? And one of the key predictors of that was a deep, was the deep and strong relationships that men had established through their lives. And the research provided um, two powerful insights for us blokes. And there are two pillars to happiness. The first is love, and the other is finding ways of coping with life that does not push love away. And so what have I learned about myself? Um, it might sound like a really simple thing, and it, I think it's a good thing to come out of this, is just how loved I am. Tell me this. Were you someone before to openly tell your family regularly that you love them, or do you tend to do it more now that you've been separated from them? Um, I, I think becoming a dad um, changes all, all of that. And I'll often say to, to, to leaders when I speak to them, if you told the most significant person in your life, um, the person that you love tenderly, just once that you love them, would that be enough? And the reality is it isn't. I think um, increasingly um, it's something that we need to be aware of but not overuse. It's a powerful word. Um, and I think in the Catholic tradition, it's extremely powerful. It's no good saying, you know, um, I love ice cream or, or I, lo I love um, my favorite foods or love you at the end of every text message. I think we need to use that word carefully and with reverence. But it's something that I think it's important that the people around us that, that we do love dearly know, but we don't overuse or abuse that word. Mm. I think the language that we use and how we communicate is, is really is important and we need to be careful with it. And I'll also say that to the young people that I'm talking to because I sometimes read text messages or, or um, emails that young people have sent and I said, I'll say to them, read that out aloud to me. Would you say that to a person's face if they were across the table from you? And they go, oh, of course not. I said, well, why are you writing it? And so the language that we use, particularly in such an aggressive world, we do need to be careful with. But I think the word about love um, and, and the love that we experience um, in terms of uh, the fellowship of, our, of other human beings um, and the love that we have of God and the love of beautiful things that exist, which goes right back to the Greeks, um, are things that we should 
be claiming and saying, but not abusing. Last time we spoke, I said I was thinking about taking up macrame and you were talking about learning an instrument during lockdown. Unfortunately, I've been way too busy to learn how to do macrame. <laughs> so, but what about you during this time? What have you done to keep yourself entertained or occupied? Well, Wilson and I haven't had too much time <laughs> on our hands. I've just got to tell you, um, I think I said earlier, we've, we've been paddling pretty hard uh, and, uh, that, that in, and the, the team around us here as well uh, we've, there's been a lot of weekends lost and some long days. So any chance I've had a, to, to sort of not do something has actually been a, a nice bit of respite, uh, I've got to say. I think I mentioned that I've kept in regular contact with my family and, and I generally try to, to speak with them a, a couple of times a day. Um, I've had the odd um, video conference with my friends. Um, over the weekend, Powderfinger had a, an online concert for, for one night lonely. So we all, you know, video conference into that and had a few drinks and, and listened to the boys. Um, I think Bishop Brian of the diocese has done a terrific job in terms of trying to keep us connected um, through the online masses. And even in the Catholic Education Office, sometimes I've missed some of the, the magnificent prayers that have been um, conducted on a Friday and I've tuned into to, to those. Um, so doing having the opportunity to actually do that out of hours ha has been an advantage. Um, I actually participated and gave witness to someone's um, to someone's funeral celebrating their life oh. outside of ours. And that was an enormously um, powerfully humbling event to be able to pay tribute in that way and that or I would have never dreamt of doing once. Um, so um, I, I, my wife says I sound boring, but I did read a, another couple of boring <laughs> books that. <laughs> um, during that time. And as I disclosed last time, I'm a cyclist, and so I did get a chance to get out on the bike. And I've got to say, that's been one of the treats of, of moving to the area. There was um, one morning, you know, during the, the past couple of weeks, and, and I've, I think I've bored people with this story, but as I rode out of Wollongong, um, the, the sun was coming up. And just as I went up the coast, there's the sound of the waves breaking, the smell of the salt uh, and that the, the, the glow of the sun on your face. And I, I stopped to take a photograph of the sunrise. It's now doing the rounds in the building in terms of the screens, which is a great thing. Uh, and there were dolphins frolicking, you know, wow. literally just off the, off the shore. And so, um, you know, things like that have, have, have sort of nourished my soul as well. What are you most looking forward to doing once COVID-19 restrictions have been totally lifted? Oh, I think that one's easy, um, seeing my family. Yeah. That's got to be hard for all of you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll be good when we can all sort of be together in one place. Yeah. Look, a lot's happened over the last nine or ten weeks, and I've really been surprised by people's reactions to the situation, which has been varied. What moments of grace have you witnessed during this time? It never ceases to amaze me the capacity that people have um, to demonstrate God's help. Uh, and that help from God has been evident in so many ways. And grace comes disguised in our acts of faith and hope and love um, that we experience with each other. And uh, Pope Francis recently told us that you know, having faith doesn't mean that we don't face difficult moments like COVID-19. Um, 
but it does give us the strength to face those moments knowing that we're not alone and that's where I've seen um, our staff uh, both uh, working in the Catholic Education Office and in our schools just rise to the occasion and really take our mission and moral purpose to the human dimension and I've, I've seen that with our principals um, talking to parents about you know, vulnerable children who've returned to schools. I've seen our teachers um, and the CEO staff who've put devices and, the, and internet connectivity into the hands of those students and families without these resources. Um, teachers who've gone to great trouble to prepare remote learning resources for those students who can't learn online. Um, the parents who have recognised um, our, our teachers and support staff working in our schools for their work and, and admiring their dedication and having a new appreciation for the work that they do. Just with a simple note or an email, there were plenty of welcome back cakes yesterday, <laughs> um, the thank you coffee vouchers for staff, just that sense of absolute gratitude that's come from the, the wider community. I've also seen those moments of grace in the care of each other uh, and how we've offered both witness and companionship to each other during this time. Um, and I think that's another moment of grace. Uh, and I have to say, um, I've experienced that when it's come to making some really critical decisions. And, and I think I've experienced that grace uh, when decisions that needed to be made and had to be made, and I'm very grateful for that as well. Last week, I had a chat with Bishop Mascord, and um, he, during the interview, he described the COVID-19 experience as a death and resurrection, which I thought was a really interesting way to interpret it. And he said, the death of what we know and are familiar with, and the resurrection of a new way of being, and the uncertainty of what that will look like. Mm. And I know we touched on this last time, but since it's been nine weeks, moving forward after everything we've been through, what do you think the new way of being will look like for Catholic education diocese of Wollongong? Another easy question, Joe. These, these are crackers today. Um, <laughs> I, I love Brian's, um, Bishop Brian's metaphor. Um, it's almost like we're on the Emmaus journey, you know, uh, and there is a sense of, we are pilgrims on that journey always, but this has been, been very, very different. And if I reflect on, on what the place is going to look like after all this, I hope it's actually more cultural than operational. Um, and the best definition I think I've ever heard about culture is it's not just the way we do things around here, it's about how we feel about how we do things around here. And if we are going to truly be bearers of Christ's love, I want to create a, a place um, in Catholic education where people feel included. Um, where if we're a learning organisation, and I hope we are, um, you can't command learning. You have to invite it. And it doesn't matter whether you are um, a kinder sitting in a classroom, or a year 12 um, preparing for the HSC, or a person starting a new role in the Catholic Education Office. You can't force learning upon people. The best you can do is invite it. And so I, I hope we create a culture that 
people can feel that they can collaborate and make a contribution, a really valuable contribution to our world and to our society. I hope it's a place that they can feel that they can be creative and, and make mistakes and innovate. And I hope it's a place where people are willing to take a risk to do something new. Um, I've said this before, but and I'll say it again. I just don't want us to create a system of schools. To me, that's very clinical. I want us to create a community of schools where one school is just as interested about what the school down the road is doing as their own. And ultimately to do that, I want us to create a, a place where you can speak truth to power. Well, before we go, do you have any last words for people? I think last time I said, go gently. Uh, and it took me almost as long to say that as well. Um, I think the message about witness and companionship is really important at the moment. Um, we have had a very disruptive time. And out of that is a sense of um, listening and attending to yourself in the first instance and really being in touch with your own well-being and also um, bearing witness and being companion to those people who you love in your family uh, and making sure they're okay. And then um, those that you work with in terms of your witness and companionship with, with them. And I do think there is a great power um, to just bearing witness and being companion at the moment. Beautiful. Well, Peter, thank you. It's been an absolute delight to speak to you again. <laughs> And I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast. My, my great pleasure. And hopefully there won't be another one, Josie. <laughs> you know, I can't say no. I can say never. podcast was produced by Catholic Education Diocese of Wollongong. Music provided by bensound.com. I'm Josie Cooks and thanks for listening in. Join us next time as we talk to other members of our Catholic school community about finding hope in the midst of our new normal.